the kingdom of heaven. So 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10 says this, and you are, wait, wait, sorry, you are coming, thank you. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. And through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust in him, in Jesus, recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected, he is the stone that makes people stumble the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Pierce, you are loved, little guy. And you are too, big guy. Those are two Pierces walking out. He didn't know which one I was talking to. But you are not like that. For you, you're not like those who reject or stumble. The church, he's speaking to you right now, he says, but you, church, are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others goodness of God, the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. In coming home, to Christ, as we put our faith in Him, and we talked about that last week, in coming home to Christ as believers, we are now living stones built into a temple, His temple, His church, His kingdom, palace, and temple on earth. On earth as it is in heaven, you are these living stones. Stones that are from the four corners of the earth. I don't know if you noticed, just FYI, but our six representatives in our training school represent five nations. Come on! And that's who you are as a church. And what I get excited about when we first started the church in Boston almost 20 years ago. Today, uh, the church in Brighton is 18 years old. The church in Beverly is 10 years old. They're having a 10-year celebration today, which I'm going to rush up to after the end of this service. And our church is seven years old today. And one of the pictures that I had 20 years ago when we moved to Boston to start a church is that we would be a diverse people. Why? Why was I believing for a diverse people? Because that's what heaven looks like. And if I'm going to experience heaven on earth, I want to experience it with the nations of this earth. I want to know the, 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 uh, the character and the qualities and the uniqueness that God's deposited in each people group, in each experience that was deposited in them when they were born, was lived out and nurtured as they grew up in a different culture and a different way of living, and is expressed in its glorious manifold presence in their lives as believers because the gifting and anointings of God are on them and on us. I need you. I need the nations in my life so that I can experience the fullness of who Jesus is. Because He is the God of all nations. Amen. And so 
Praise God that we've got six disciples up here saying, I'm from China, I'm from India, I'm from Africa, and I'm living for Jesus, I'm from America, I'm from Boston. And we're going to do this thing together. We're going to do this thing together. When Jesus brought his people together as disciples when he was living here on earth, how many of you know that they are pretty diverse? They weren't necessarily from the four corners of the world, but they were from the four corners of society. You had tax collectors living with zealots who were trying to kill tax collectors. That was an interesting campfire discussion. (laughs) You had people that were fishermen, people that hung out with Roman leaders, living together around the feet and teaching of Jesus. That's what we're doing here in church. We might come from all, all over the place, both the, both the nations of the world or the stratas of society or the places of different intellect or whatever you want to categorize or put yourself into. Wherever you come from, you are unique. But we got a lot of unique coming together around the feet in presence of Jesus to say, pull us together, build a house, place stones together with the mortar of the Holy Spirit Tie us together where we cannot be separated and build for your glory a representation of what kingdom, the kingdom of God looks like. And that's you and me. Whether you like it or not, if you call Antioch Waltham and you're not trapped, the door is unlocked right now. <laughs> but if you have said, I am a part of this church and I will speak specifically to Antioch Waltham this morning, and or you have given yourself in, uh, in faith and trust to the living Savior, and you're part of the big C church wherever you reside, your stone, your life that is living is a stone that God says you are not to live separate. You are not going to live as a stone out here in the middle of the parking lot and live on your own. It is not how my kingdom works. So I often talk to people who are floating in and out of churches, and oftentimes they're floating in and out of churches because they haven't found the perfect church. Let me tell you two things. We are the perfect church. (laughs) You have found the perfect church, so you don't have to look anymore. And our perfection is not based on our actions, because we will fail you with our actions. Our perfection is in Jesus. And you are perfect as you are looking for a church, because if you are in Jesus, you're perfect in Him. And you found church. Hallelujah. It won't make you mad. It will really frustrate you. And you'll really hate my preaching sometimes. You won't like the worship and you won't think the Sunday school is that great. And you're going to go, wow, this is a perfect church. (laughs) Because Jesus is in our midst and he makes all things new. And he refines the edges in our life. And he strengthens and encourages us. And he does whatever he needs to do to make us more like him so that we will in time become, become more like the perfect church that you're looking for. But if you're looking for that one and you say, well, that's not good enough, I have some news for you. You're going to be wandering for the rest of your life. You're never going to find it. But when you decide that you are a part of it and you have something to give, all of a sudden you find it because you find your purpose. See, God's about bringing living stones, that's you and me, together, and he's about putting us together, whether we like it or not. And I can tell you that when times that I haven't liked it, when he's put me together with some people, I'm like, Lord, really? Honestly, you're bringing that person in my life? They are like the roughest sandpaper I've ever been around. He said, I know, I want to make you soft. I want to make you more like me. And guess what? 
some of those people that I could look back and go, why did you do it, are some of my best friends today. Because he made both of us like him. He softened both of us. As a matter of I'm sure there's a few people that have said in their life, oh, no, I have to be around Sean? Lord, you call me to this church? For your glory. Chosen. Chosen by God. Who are we in Christ? We are chosen by God. Verse 9, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. I I hit on this last week, but I'm going to hit on it again, because if we don't know our identity in Jesus and are not secure in Him, we're going to have a hard time being mortared together. We've got to know who we are in him. Have you ever been chosen? I, just, let's just think about being chosen. I'm, I, I have called myself an athlete at some points in my life. I'm not quite sure I'm an athlete anymore. But at one point, I liked to play anything with a ball. And there was nothing more exhilarating, for those of you in the room that can identify with this, there's nothing more exhilarating than being in a pickup game and somebody says, I want you on my team. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> That's right. You are the smartest person out here because we're going to win now that I'm on your team. Being picked to be on a team. Being picked to read your paper in class. Being picked. Just remember sometimes where you were picked. You were picked out of a crowd. You were identified. Your name was called. I was thinking about what other glorious picking times. What about the times for some of you uh, brides or grooms, depending on who asked who, that somebody got down on their knee before you and said, I want you to be my spouse for the rest of my life. Chosen. Chosen. Out of all the people that could have been chosen, I love you. And how about that, that most beautiful picture that Scripture points to of adoption? We have a family that, that goes to Antioch Brighton that lives down the street from us, and they just recently adopted two kids, uh, five, one's around five and one's around eight or nine. I think. I actually don't know. They're, they're, they're older, older than babies. And I've got to hang out with these children, and I, I've, I've put myself in their position. I just can't even imagine the mix of emotions that they've had of one being rejected and living aware that they are rejected. Take us back to this passage of Scripture. Once you were not a people, once you had not received mercy, just not getting any break in life as they get older, realizing I am not like all of these families out here. And then one day, this couple walks into a room and sees them and says, we want them to be our sons. Can you imagine the upside-down flip that goes on in their life when one day they walk in, they have no identity in a family, they have not, been, they've not experienced the mercy of a family, of a father, they've had foster homes, they've had orphan, wherever they've lived, they've experienced some of it, but that thought of, I'm going to have somebody's name. Somebody wants me to be a part of their family, and they want to give me their name. And then a mom and a dad say, you know what? You are beautiful and precious. We want you to live with us as long as you want to live with us. And they're adopted, chosen. That is what God says to us in our rejection and brokenness. He says, you know what? 
in all that has been done to you, in all that you've done to yourself, in all that you've done to others, the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world in your own life, I choose you. There's a beautiful story in the Old Testament about Mephibosheth. Anybody remember who Mephibosheth is? I can't even say his name, but he's awesome. Actually, David is awesome. King David. Because the story goes like this, is that when... Uh, um, he was five years old, both his father and his grandfather, pretty important people, Saul and Jonathan, died in battle. And after their deaths, the, his nurse, Mephibosheth's nurse, took him and fled in panic. But in her haste, he was dropped or uh, he either fell or was dropped and he was crippled in the escape. And some years later, King David, in wanting to honor the line of Saul and Jonathan said, find, an, find somebody in the line of Saul and Jonathan because I want to honor them because they were, they were leaders of this, this, uh, this nation. And so they find Mephibosheth. And he invites Mephibosheth to his home. And he says, because of who you are, I've chosen you to receive the inheritance that's due your family. And for the rest of your life, you're going to eat at my table. You're going to sit at the table of the king. That story placed right in Samuel is a story of the gospel. A crippled man that could not do anything for himself, could not provide for himself, could not had no position of honor, was probably looked down incredibly in, in, in his culture and his society, and the king called him by name and said, live with me and sit at my table and eat my food and drink from my goblet and eat off my plates, my, my plates and sleep in my castle because I chose you to put favor on you. You see, all of us are crippled. All of us, the scripture says, all of us are broken. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us deserve to deserve because of our own life to be out there. And the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, Sean, crippled man, one who has been rejected and has not received mercy, come forth. I extend to you the scepter of grace to sit at my table. Have you heard your name be called by the King of Kings? Because today, Every single name in this room is being heralded from heaven with an invitation. Come home and sit at my table. You're chosen. You've been called out, honored, redeemed if you believe and put your trust in him. And as we put our trust in him, we're not only chosen, but we are made holy and royal, Peter says. Holy in the... In the Hebrew, in the Old Testament, and as well in the Greek and the New Testament, is pretty much um, has the same definition a set apartness, a separateness, a sacredness, a reverence, a worthy of veneration, different from the world, not like the rest of us, worthy of honor, God, other than God is holy, and apart from God, we are not. He is set apart. Apart from Him, we are not. But in Christ, we become holy. 
we take on the nature of God. The scripture says that he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. It says that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. All the work of trying to be good and holy that has not gotten us anywhere all of a sudden was imputed into us by the work and the power of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ holy. Look at somebody straight in the eye and say, I am holy. And believe it. Well, that is lackluster. <laughs> Let's give the people around you confidence. Look at, look at the person again and say, you are holy. Can you believe that more? Okay. That was a little bit better, which means that we're dealing with some insecurity and hearing some bad theology. Now let's try one more time. Now I'll say it again with the same gusto. I'm holy. Okay, you are holy. And are you holy because you've done something good today? We believe that. We believe that. We believe. I'm around you all the time. I know what you believe. I get around you and you're doing good. You're feeling good. And all of a sudden I hear that you have overcome some kind of sin, sin pattern in your life. And you're feeling holy. Or you've just been out serving somewhere and you've been doing some good acts and you're feeling holy. Or I'm around you on another day and you've just totally blown it. You totally messed up and you got your head down like this and you're not feeling holy at all. I know you because I is you. As I've often said, I'm just preaching to myself. I know I can preach that with emotion because I live it. But that is not the truth. The truth is that the day you wake up until the day you die in Jesus, you're holy. You're holy. And if we live that way, then we all of a sudden start to have victory over our sin. I'm telling you, that's the difference. So much so that if you sin right now, if you're thinking bad thoughts about me, go ahead and repent. You're still holy. If you sin right now or in the next few minutes, you have the confidence to know that you are already forgiven and that you don't have to live under the shame and the, and the disdain and the, the, the weight of that sin. But you can sin. And, and again, this, you know, some people, you know, when, they, when people talk about it, that sleazy grace. No, it's just grace. It's just grace that you can sin now and then you can be the first person to pray for somebody at the altar 10 minutes later. Because Jesus Christ is in you and he's the one ministering to everybody anyway. And you're just proclaiming Jesus and when you speak Jesus and pray for Jesus, just get out of the way and let Jesus do his stuff. That's why God still does stuff around carnal, sinful people. And we don't like that, but that's how it is. Because we're all crippled anyway. Look at somebody and say, I'm crippled without Jesus. Without Jesus, add that. I want to make sure you say that without Jesus, because he's healed you now. No longer crippled. Okay. Getting up, David. Don't get up yet. Just get up in a second. <laughs> David's about to get up. That means i got to finish soon. All right. Holy, set apart. And what else does it say? It says that we're royal. We're royal. We have been given the name of the King of Kings. Now, can I ask you a question? Let's think about Mephibosheth. Let's think about Sean. Let's think about you and your name and your own journey. If we have been 
chosen by God, and we have been clean and set free in the passage of Scripture, if you remember, it says that you've been removed from darkness into light. You've been given freedom. You've received mercy that you don't deserve. And then you've been given royalty. You've been given a name that is above all other names, lives in you. You've been given power that's above all power. It says every every principality and dominion is under the feet of Jesus and that he rules and reigns in all authority and dominion. You've been given access to the name of names, the power of all power, the privilege of all privilege. How do we as chosen royal people respond? If we are aware of our Mephibosheth background, we respond with humility and thankfulness. First, God, not, not, should, I should not boast because it's not of myself, Paul said. It's of Jesus and what he's done for me. Paul says, I am what I am, but by the grace of God. So we have humility, but we also have confidence. I'm a son of the king. For I don't, I don't wallow. I don't, I don't, I'm not timid in my relationship with Jesus. I'm confident but humble. Danny Silk in his book, Culture of Honor, talks about um, a mindset that, sh- that we should carry. He's a, he's a pastor in, in, in the Bethel Church. But he talks about, I like this concept that he communicates. He talks about when we are in Christ, we are wealthy in Christ, and yet we oftentimes don't operate in that wealth mindset. I'm not talking about physical wealth. I'm not talking about getting money. I'm talking about we have the resources of heaven that live within us. We are wealthy as recipients of God's grace. And he talks about this attitude that wealthy people have that have been from a long lineage of wealth. And I'm not going to say it right because it's a French. I, even though I took French a long time ago, I'm going to butcher it. But he, the, the term is noblesse oblige or a noble obligation. There is a there is an obligation that comes from our wealth to be generous with what we have. To give it away. To live it out here so that people's lives are so impacted by us that life is made better for all because of our generosity. We are chosen royal priests. What's it look like to be a priest? Holy and royal You know, the hinge of Christianity shifted um, in the 1500s with Martin Luther. There was um, a wrestling within the, the realm of the church and within theology about what role or authority does the church have in relation to the believer in Christ. And there was a heavy-handedness and a, 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 an authoritarian position that the the church had positioned themselves in where the priests who were the leaders held all the power. And Martin Luther, who himself was a priest, said that should not be, but that as believers in Christ, we should all come to the cross equally. And the Scripture says that we are all priests, and he referenced the passage of Scripture that we're looking at. So his, his position when he nailed the 95 uh, thesis to the door, the Wittenberg door, 
and proclaimed that we should, we should be operating in this way, some of the main themes that came out of that proclamation through the next few years were justification by faith and faith alone, the holiness of scriptures, and the priesthood of all believers. Listen to this. He said, um, in his address to the nobility of the German nation in 1520, he says this, uh, for whoever comes out of the water of baptism can boast that he or she is already a consecrated priest, is already a pope, a bishop, and a pope. Villainous words. But what was he saying? He, wasn't, he, he was doing two things. He was taking a shot at the popes and the priests and saying, you hold too much power. And he was speaking to the church that didn't even have the opportunity to read the word of God because it was kept from them. And he said, the word is for you. And Jesus is for you. And when Jesus comes in you, royalty comes into you, and you are a king. You are a queen. You are a priest in Jesus. Do you believe that? So as we live as a church, getting to my main point of my message, actually it's not the main point, but one of the emphasis of my message today is that we live to minister as priests to one another. I, I am not... I am... I'm not the pastor of this church. God's given me an opportunity to lead in a specific way, but we are all ministers in this church if Jesus is in us. And you are called to live your life as a minister to the people around you. And you're called to see unbelievable things happen in and through your life because the living God lives in you. You are commissioned, anointed as priests. Holy, royal priest. Ones who usher in as living stones people into the presence of Jesus and bring through your life heaven to earth. That's your call. And it looks like this. Acts 2, 42 through 47. This is what the early church looked like. Remember the nations had come. They'd heard uh, this loud noise, the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples. There was a preaching. Thousands were saved. The, ch- the thousands that were saved became a church. All right? Pretty crazy. It's a nightmare for church leadership. <laughs> There's all kinds of problems in that. Holy Spirit, be strong and courageous. Holy Spirit ended up showing up and making a beautiful church out of this. And listen how they describe the church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to fellowship and to breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They were devoted. That word devoted is like the same kind of devotion that you have when you get married. So I'll just stop there. How many of you are devoted to each other in that way? Now, I can be devoted to a few of you like that because I really like you. The rest of you? No, I'm just kidding. Can we be devoted to one another, no matter who we are, in the kind of zeal and passion that we are devoted to our spouse, the one we love. Because that's how Christ loves the church. 
God wants us to grow in that kind of love for one another. That's koinia. That's true fellowship. They shared their burdens. They spent time together. They, they were a people together. I feel like that as a church at Antioch Waltham, we do that well. I feel like that there is a significant desire within this body. I'm looking around, and, and as I say, I feel like that we do it really well because I'm seeing the lives in this room. But you're committed to one another. You're committed to one another by being here together. And, and we, we often marvel, in the last year, we've marveled at how long people stay after church just to be with one another. So much so that we feel guilty when we kick you out of the church building. You know, we're going to start issuing keys to all of you so that you can just hang out. But you like to be together. And our, our life groups that are starting, we have more life groups this year than we've ever had before. And part of that's because people are realizing it's better to be together than to be apart. It's better to share life in, in each other's homes and, and break bread together and pray for one another and, and live life deeply with one another than it is to be a stone out in the parking lot by ourselves. And so check out these life groups, please. If you are a part of this church and you're not a part of a life group, I often say that if you're not a part of a life group, that's the center of our church, not this service. The heartbeat of who we are is those, those smaller groups that are getting to know one another. And how many, how many of you know that actually it's uncomfortable sometimes in those groups? Because people actually know what's going on in our life. And sometimes people have advice for us. Darn. Sometimes people hold us accountable to things that we say hold us accountable to, and we say, well, you know, I didn't really mean that. It's just emotional. And they hold us accountable anyway. Sometimes they hold us accountable for stuff we don't want them to hold us accountable for because they're right. Sometimes they pray for us. Sometimes they share their, their resources with us. We've, I've shared this before, but in our life group a couple of years ago when we were really having a hard time, people came and cleaned our whole house and filled our, our house with food for months because they loved us and shared our burden. That's church. Church is not coming to worship service once a week. That's a lecture. It's a good lecture. <laughs> Pretty awesome. But that's not going to transform your life. Relationships can transform your life. So we're emphatic. We're belligerent. We're whatever you want. We're radical. We're going to tell you to get into a life group. And if you don't like the life group you're in, I'm not going to answer that question. Come back up, Dan. I've just got too much preaching me. It was all because of Bree. Bree got me on this role of just keeping on talking. And so she modeled it for me. What else happened while they're coming up? Miracles happened in the church. Our minds are renewed when the knowledge that we possess about God is coupled with the experiences that we have in God. When we see the Bible become real in our life, that's when we live in a renewed mind with Jesus. We live supernaturally. The church is called to live supernaturally. Miracles happen. People being encouraged, willing to share all that they have. Okay, here's our response. In Jesus, we are chosen. You've received mercy. You've been forgiven. You've been set, set free. I started this service off with a picture of you being hugged by Jesus. 
And I ask you to pray for God to reveal himself to you. If that is you in this room, I want you to respond to Jesus this morning and allow him to transform your life. So I'm going to pray for you one more time. Jesus, Spirit of God, you have put out your call. You've invited us. And Lord, I pray, Lord, if there is one, two, many in this room, I have no idea who they are or how many. Lord, that you have invited this morning to receive salvation in listening to your word and voice. Would you save them? So if that's you and you've prayed that dangerous prayer, Jesus, reveal yourself to me and he's revealing himself to you. I want to encourage you as we stand up to worship to come and find one of, our, one of the people praying and I want you to say, I'm, I'm, I asked Jesus into my heart, would you pray with me? As children of God, we are royal and holy. If you are not walking in that assurance and need prayer this morning, to regain perspective and power to walk a holy life out. I want to encourage you to come and pray with some people up front and allow God to encourage you. And lastly, if you are children of God and you're not walking in the priesthood that God has invited you into, that he's granted you, you're wanting to be more generous with your life through how you live with the church. You want to devote yourself, share your life, carry burdens, see miracles, in your life. You're wanting to be in that place. I want to encourage you to respond by thinking about what the next step is for you. And sometimes the first step, and I didn't have a chance to talk about this, but sometimes the first step is through repentance and forgiveness. Because oftentimes the reason we don't pull close to people is because we judge them. We have bitterness in our heart. We have unforgiveness. God would say to draw close, we have to draw close in humility. So if there's any offense that you're carrying or any wounds you're carrying, make that right this morning. Make that right this week. So stand up with me. Can I have some people from our leadership and our prayer, our faith, faith group, our life group leaders to come forward and receive people in prayer. Let's let God minister to us as we respond.